Well, good morning. It's good to be back. I missed you. Missed you. Couple things. Um, being reminded that it was one year ago today that we entered into this building, let's also be reminded that on Sunday, April the 5th this year is our 10th anniversary as a church, and we're going to be celebrating the whole weekend, and uh, something a little bit extra that, that Sunday night is we're going to have a night of worship here at the church, as well as Sunday morning, you know, our normal service here, and a lot of extra stuff going on. Uh, speaking of that, uh, Wednesday was my actually first time back with everyone here at the church on Wednesday night, and I started that new series on prophecy, and we had a great group, but I looked out on Wednesday night, and I bet a fourth of the people that were attending Wednesday night, I didn't even know. They were new. So we're just getting a lot of new people into our church, and some of you I may not know yet. Um, so one of the things that we do here every once in a while is not only have a Q&A with Pastor Jeff so that you can ask me anything and get to know me and the church and all of that a little bit more, but in two weeks from today, we're having a potluck here at the church. So on Sunday, February the 23rd, two Sundays from now, we will turn this uh, room around after the service. We'll have our normal Sunday morning service at 10 o'clock, but then we will turn this room around and we will just have a big potluck fellowship, you know, lunch here with each other. And it's a great way to get to know new people and a great way to just keep building relationships and all of that. So if you'd like to sign up for that or know more about that, Debbie will be back there at the information table with all that you need to know the next couple Sundays so that we have an idea of how many people are coming. So a lot of good stuff going on and we hope you will avail yourself of all these wonderful things. Luke chapter 6 this morning, we're resuming our series in the Gospel of Luke. I want to thank my son Steve for speaking the last couple of Sundays for me. And uh, yeah. So we're going back now to Luke. And as I shared with you at the very beginning of this series, I believe that God wants to really speak to us through this gospel series about what does it mean to serve the Lord. I think he wants to build his servants in this church through this series and, and call people out to service and maybe uh, even as Nicole prayed to have some of us, you know, step out and step up into a new season of service or a new kind of service or a new way of serving the Lord or maybe just learning more about what it means to serve the Lord. And we built that all on something Jesus said to his followers when he said, if anyone wants to serve me, first he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be as well. And so serving the Lord and following him very devotedly and very closely uh, is inseparably linked. Now today, as we pick it up in chapter 6, you have here in chapter 6 in the verse 13 where Jesus actually comes to a place where he's choosing the, his 12 disciples. It says, when morning came after he spent all night in prayer to God, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them. And then you have the names of the 12 disciples listed there. I wanted to start there because... It also connects with something Jesus said and something that is taught throughout the chapter. And that is that 
Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I've appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. So Jesus now is linking the fact that we did not pursue him and come after him. He came after us. And every last person in this room today, including myself, we did not choose Christ. Christ chose us. And he not only chose us, which implies a very highly deliberate choice, <laughs> okay? Jesus chose you, okay? And he not only chose us each to be with him, to follow him, to be a follower, but he chose us based upon what he said to his followers there, to go and bear fruit, to not just follow, but to be fruitful followers, and then he goes on and he says, fruit that will remain. In other words, fruit that is not just simply temporal, not just earthly, not just of earth, not just material, not something that will wear out and decay and, and de decompose, but something that will last. In other words, stuff about eternity. Stuff that will last for eternity. That kind of fruitfulness. In fact, that's why Jesus said in verse 44 of chapter 6 of Luke, look at it just for a moment with me, each tree is known by its own fruit, you see. And what we truly are on the inside will emerge. It will come out of us, you see. So in this chapter this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at the fruit of being a servant of Christ. What is it that we should be known for? If we are following the Lord, if we are serving him, what should we be known by? What should we be known for? Because Jesus said each tree is known by its fruit. And Jesus connects fruitfulness with his choice of us. I chose you and then I appointed you after I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains. And in this chapter, so that you and I can remember, and I do this as much for myself as you, I reduced each of these uh, points into a memory word, a word that, that you and I can remember the principle by. And so the first one I want to look at this morning is sort of summarized by the word responsibility. All right? Responsibility. We should be known by our responsibility. Look at chapter 6, the first five verses. This is all about the Sabbath here. Jesus was going through the grain fields on a Sabbath and his disciples picked some heads of wheat. <gasps> Rubbed them in their hands and ate them. Some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is against the law on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? How he entered the house of God, took and ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for any to eat, but the priests alone, and gave it to his companions. And then he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What does this have to do with responsibility? Well, in this way. These disciples were eating on the Sabbath because they were hungry, and the Pharisees were freaking out about it. Like, how could you do that? And they were saying, you're breaking the law. Well, they weren't breaking God's law. They were breaking man's law. They were breaking things that the Pharisees had added into or 
upon the law of God. It was human regulations, not God's regulations or responsibilities that he had given. And Jesus even goes on and answers them using scripture by even then going into the scriptures and giving them an example of where the spirit of the law, of what David and his companions did, took priority over the letter of the law, you see. Now, why does this have to do with responsibility? Because Jesus has a responsibility that he wants to place upon each of us as his servants, okay? And he says to his followers, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 11, that my yoke is easy to bear and my load is light to carry. In other words, the responsibility that I have created for you because I know you is this uniquely well-fitted responsibility and it's not something that I'm going to place upon you if you're willing to receive it that's going to wear you out, be overly burdensome, you'll be crushed underneath of it. No way, no way. I don't want that for any of my children. So therefore, what I have designed for you, as long as you depend and rely upon me to do it, it will be something that you can manage very well and not feel weighted down by. Amen. You see, but Jesus always had to deal with these Pharisees and these religious leaders who over the years took what God intended again for good, things like a Sabbath rest, and began to pile on all these extra things that were expected, that they expected others to do. And, and then being a follower of God became this thing that was very weighty and burdensome and all of that. And, and people began to get crushed underneath of it. And folks, even though we're not dealing with Pharisees today, you and I, even as Christians today who are seeking to serve the Lord, we have a choice to make. And that is because we live still in a day and an age where either we place more responsibility on ourselves than God does in certain ways because we add to what God, you know, expects and what God wants, or we allow other people, just like they were in Jesus' day, other Christians or other family members or whatever, to begin to dictate to us how we should live or what we should take on that is more than what God is asking of us. Amen. And that's why you and I have to make sure that we are responsible, but that we are being responsible primarily for what God wants us to take on and not any more than that. And, and I will say this, some of you in this room, you may be part of something right now that, that is calling itself Christian and spiritual because it's got all these added things onto it, but it's not of God. Because they're asking of you and those that are part of it more of yourself and expecting more than what God is saying in his word. They're doing the same thing to you that the Pharisees did to others in Jesus' day. And Jesus saying to us, if you take my responsibility, the one that I shaped for you, the one that I designed for you, the one that I created for you, so that you can follow me and be your servant, 
My yoke will be easy for you and my burden will be light. Amen. Now, it doesn't mean that being a follower and servant of Christ will be easy. Obviously not. But it does mean that as you and I rely and depend upon the Lord and his grace and strength in our life, it can be managed. And it will not be this thing that we get crushed under and, and, and weighted under to where we feel like we're going around in life carrying an extra thousand pound elephant on our back and seeking to serve the Lord. That's not what God intended. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do is actually start saying no to some things rather than yes so that you can concentrate on being really good at what God's design and responsibility for you are so that you can throw your all into God's yoke. And let's remember that yoke is simply that which was placed upon a beast of burden in Jesus' day so that they could do the work in, in an orderly uh, and best fashion that they could. It wasn't something that was going to crush the animal. It was something to guide the animal. And God's yoke is the same way. The yoke that God wants to place on us isn't something that's going to crush us. It's something that's going to guide us. Amen. So responsibility, that's what we should be known for. God wants us to be responsible people, but primarily responsible to what he wants us to be responsible for, not what everyone else thinks we should be responsible for, or even what we place upon ourselves that is more than what God wants us to do. Second, I think the second word here beyond Responsibility is eternity. Eternity. In the chapter passage from verse 20 through 26, many call this the Beatitude section where Jesus is blessing. And what I see in this passage is that Jesus is teaching us here and shaping us to be people who invest in eternity not in the here and now, that, that our hearts and minds and lives aren't earthbound, where we're, again, investing in earthly, temporal, material, physical things primarily, but where we're it, it, it living for eternal things and where we understand that life as it is now is, is all turned upside down in the kingdom of God and that one day everything will be, be made right that you and I as followers of Christ will be vindicated and that, that all that we've lived for will actually be worthwhile and, and that nothing that we ever do for Christ is a waste of time, all of that. That's what Jesus is trying to build in here because notice by these points, he says in verse 21, blessed are you who hunger now. Notice the word now. God, Jesus is always contrasting the now with the not yet because he says, if you hunger now, you will be satisfied. Blessed are you now who weep, for you will laugh. Notice he says in verse 23, rejoice in that day. What day? The day to come. And jump for joy because your reward is great in earth. No, your reward is great where? In heaven. And we're not living for earthly reward. We're living for heavenly reward. In fact, he says in verse 35, and we'll come back to this in a minute, love your enemies, do good and lend, expect nothing back. Then, verse 35, your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the most high. Then, not now, then. In other words, we're not living for the now, we're living for the not yet, you see. 
That's why Jesus said in verse 24, Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your comfort already. In other words, if you're just living for earthly things and material things, then everything you accumulate, that's all you're going to get. Because you're living for the now. You're not living, you're not investing in the not yet. Verse 25, woe to you who are well satisfied with food when? Now. Because if you're satisfied now, you're going to come a day where you're going to be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. In other words, God's going to one day take the accepted standards of society and he's going to turn them all upside down. Because God's price tags on things aren't man's price tags on things. God's value of things is not man's value of things. And one day it's all going to be switched. So if you and I, even as Christ followers and Christ servants, if we buy into the economy of the world now, we're going to lose in the end. But if we reject the economy of the world now and what the world says we should be investing our time, talent, energy, and all of that in, and we go after God and serve him, oh my goodness, one day we will be so glad we did. Amen. Because there are eternal rewards waiting for us there. As I've said to you before, and I want to remind us of this again, every negative thing that you and I will deal with and go through here on earth is the only hell we will ever know. Because there is an eternity of glory awaiting us that will never end. And any good that those who reject God and want nothing to do with God that they can enjoy and, and, and accumulate here on earth, that's the only heaven they will ever know. Because God one day is going to reverse it all. And so Jesus here is not only teaching that what we should be known for is our responsibility primarily towards him, but that we should be known for living for eternal things, for investing in eternal things, for living for what really matters beyond this life and not getting caught up in the world's value system and the world's price tags because at the end of the day and at the end of it all, what the world is living for is going to be worthless. It's not going to matter a dime. And what you and I live for and what the world scorns is going to be worth millions and billions of, 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 of amount of worth and value forever and ever. Eternity. The next word I'd like to leave with you to remember this next passage by is the word extraordinary. We could even add extraordinary ability. Why? Because Jesus is saying to us, beginning in verse 27, if you follow and serve me, you will live your life in such a distinct way that it will be different. It will be exceptional. It will go beyond what others can do. Why? Because you're living by my grace, by my strength, by the supernatural power and means that I can supply, and you're not living at just a mere human level. So Jesus is saying, in a sense, I'm expecting my servants to be exceptional. Not that we can do it again in and of ourselves, but we can do it all through him. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So notice what Jesus said beginning in verse 27. I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. And from the person who takes away your coat, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you and do not ask for possessions back from the person who takes away. 
Notice what he says in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? In other words, from Jesus, what's the big deal? What's the big accomplishment there? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Again, what's the big deal? Everybody lives that way. Even people of the world live that way. He says, even sinners do the same. Verse 34, if you lend to those who from whom you hope to be repaid, what credit is that to you? What's the big deal? Even sinners lend to sinners so that they may be repaid in full. I'm telling you, live extraordinarily. Love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing back. Then your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High because he is kind to ungrateful and evil people. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. See, God calls us as his followers and servants to live an extraordinary life, not like everybody else. We as Christians should not be loving and living like everybody else. We should be demonstrating every day with our life that there is a power and there is a means and there are resources within us that enable us to live on a higher plane. Not to be drugged down in the muck and the mire where everyone else is living and how everyone else is treating everyone else, but to live beyond that. That's being a servant. That's what we should be known for. Amen. Not just treating others the way they treat us, but to go beyond. And again, the only way you and I can do that, even as a Christian, is to be under the control and power of the Holy Spirit of God. Otherwise, somebody slaps you, you're going to slap them right back. And I'm right there with you. Okay? Somebody cuts me off on the highway, oh, man. You know? There's that instant inner struggle between, okay, Holy Spirit, do I let you control me now or do I control the situation? We all have that choice. And this is why Jesus is saying in this passage, I want you to be known by certain fruit. <laughs> And if you're a real tree, if you're really connected to me and, and, and you're connected to the vine and you're living off of the sustenance of me, the vine, then you're going to bear this kind of fruit. You're going to be responsible people, primarily taking on the responsibility that I have laid upon you, not what others or yourself lays upon you. You're primarily going to be known for living for eternal things, not temporal things. And you're, you're going to be known as extraordinary people, people who make other people scratch their heads and go, how, how can they do that? How can they live that way? How can they love that way? I don't understand. I, I can't do that. And that's part of why God wants us to live in such an extraordinary way, so that we show others there's a different way, there's another way. He is the way. And that we can point them to the way by living such a way. So responsibility, eternity, extraordinary. How about humility? Let's look at verse 39. 
He also told them a parable. Someone who is blind cannot lead another who is blind, can he? Won't they both fall into the pit? A disciple then is not greater than his teacher, but everyone when fully trained will be like his teacher. First of all, Jesus saying here, can we be humble enough to never feel like we've arrived? To feel like there's always room for growth and we always need to keep growing and and, and, and progressing and maturing in our faith. Why, why is that tied to this principle? For this reason, in verse 40, Jesus is teaching us something very important. You and I cannot lead others beyond the point that we have reached ourselves. Do you see that there in verse 40? A disciple is not greater than his teacher. In other words, those who are looking to us, those who are maybe following us or using us as an example, they can't go any further than what we go if they want to go further than us then they've got to look for somebody else because we can't lead them beyond where we've went and if we want to keep being impactful and influencing others and being used by God to touch other people's lives then we got to keep growing and progressing and maturing and being out in front so that God can can continue to bring other people behind us who can continue to look forward and and move forward for us because you and I can't take people beyond where we've went. That takes humility. But then secondly, so many of us struggle with being so critical of others and seeing the things that are deficient in their life and yet never really turning the attention or spotlight on ourselves. And Jesus is saying, a servant of mine will have a growing self-awareness and a humility that instead of first pointing out all the faults of everyone around them, will first take a look at themselves. And Jesus here, and I want to point this out before I read it, Jesus here isn't saying that we can't be used by him to take the speck out of other people's eyes. But he's saying in order for us to truly have the the spiritual vision and insight to be able to deal with others and what their situation is, we first need to deal with ourselves. That takes humility. Notice what he says beginning in verse 41. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck from your eye while you yourself don't see the beam in your own? You hypocrite. By the way, that word is a fantastic word in the original language. It means one who's always living behind a mask because it was a word that was used by literally actors on a stage in Jesus' day. Oh, there's a lesson right there, right? First, notice, he doesn't say never. He just says first, begin with, before dealing with others, remove the beam from your own eye so that then you have this incredible spiritual vision and insight so that then you can clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye and have the insight to do it. God isn't saying we shouldn't try to help others and be used by him to 
But we better make sure that we've examined ourselves first and that when we do approach others being led by God to do so, that we do so in humility. That we don't come at them as if, I want to tell you about all these things that you, you know, you need to get right in your life, but come saying, I know I've got issues as well, and I'm not coming to you saying to you, you know, I've got this all figured out, and I'm, you know, I've got life buttoned up really well, and I've got it all together. I'm not, I'm not coming to you in that way. When we approach people in that way, you're going to get a lot further than that pride that just sort of lifts you above everybody else and makes them feel very low to the ground. They're not going to respond to us at all. People will respond to humble people. They do. People don't do well with people who are prideful. It just sort of puts up a wall and, and we begin to sort of, you know, shrink back from that kind of an air and attitude that people project. And Jesus is saying to his followers here, you want to be known by something? Don't just be known by being responsible. Don't just be known by living for eternal things and for living an extraordinary life through the strength that I, only I can supply. Be known for your humility. One final thing today. Go over to the last part of the passage where Jesus begins in verse 47. And the word I want to leave with you here to describe this part of the chapter is the word stability. Servants of Christ should be known for their stability. Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and listens to my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on bedrock. When a flood came, the river burst against the house but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the person who hears and does not put my words into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, and when the river burst against that house, it collapsed immediately and was utterly destroyed. I want to point something out here. Did you notice that no matter what situation, whatever house and whatever foundation, that the flood or the storm or the river's going to come. It's not a matter of if the storms of life come, if the floods, floods come, if the pressures of life come. They're going to come. He doesn't say if. In verse 48, he says when a flood came. And in verse 49, he says when the river burst, not if. Every human being, I don't care whether we're a follower of Jesus Christ or we're an atheist, the floods, the rivers, the pressures of life are going to come. That's not the issue. It's what's the foundation of our life. Amen. What are we building our life upon? And Jesus is saying here, what kind of foundation do you have? Is it stable? Is it stable? And obviously, too, he's tying in that a big part of having a strong foundation is just living an obedient life to him. He talked about that even in verse 46. But I want to point something else out here that I think many times is missed. Notice in verse 48 these words, dug down deep. Don't miss those three words. Because Jesus here is placing emphasis on the effort to which the man went to prepare his foundation. 
In other words, it's not just God's responsibility that we have a good foundation, and you and I can't just passively sit back and go, okay, God, I'm just going to rest on your solid foundation. No, you and I have to, throughout our Christian life and through our service, prepare that foundation by being willing to be part of a spiritual environment where we go deep rather than shallow and superficial. Amen. And there's too much shallowness and super, superficiality in Christianity today. There's too much where people and Christians are not being able to live in an environment, whether personally or corporately, where they can go down deep. Because it's only when we go down deep enough can the foundation be laid that's going to withstand the storms when they come. Amen. And let's make another point here. Foundations are normally hidden and only proven when the storm comes which means that most, most of us laying the foundation of our life is actually stuff that's hidden from others. It's stuff that you and I and God do sort of behind the scenes on our own. That's where you really see where the foundation is being laid. But the words that Jesus uses here all point to stability. 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 Are the storms of life going to wreck us or are we going to weather the storms of life? It's all going to go back to our foundation and how stable we are. And just like Jesus says earlier, many can say, well, Lord, Lord, you know. And just like he said in Matthew, there are many that's going to say, Lord, Lord, they're going to profess all they want to, that they knew him, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Outward profession and talk really doesn't mean much. It's what are we doing? Are we really taking the time and effort and energy to dig down deep? and create a foundation that cannot be shaken when the storms of life come. Stability. Because again, make no mistake about it, the storms are coming. <laughs> Will we weather the storms or be wrecked by the storms? So that's why, back in verse 44, Jesus says, each tree is going to be known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from brambles. The good person out of the good treasury of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasury produces evil, and his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. See, what we treasure in our heart will eventually emerge in our life. God chose each of us. Every last one of us in this room, Jesus chose you. But beyond just choosing you, he said, just as he said to his earliest followers, I've also appointed you that I want you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains. This is what I want you, my followers, my servants to be known for. All summarized in five words that I want you to remember from today's message responsibility eternity 
extraordinary. What's the fourth one? I'm, oh, humility. <laughs> See, that's why I need these helps. And then stability. That's what, that's what we need to be known for. And you and I, even in these next few moments, can I say, it's not just, okay, we pack it up and now we're moving on to something else. In these next few moments where we spend some time with God and spend time with worship, that's a time to start digging down deep. Start letting God take us even deeper because can I just tell you, I think another reason why God is bringing so many new people to a church like ours is there are Christians out there that have finally gotten tired of the superficial and the shallow. And they're looking for something more. Are you looking for something more today? Jesus has it for us. Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. God, thank you for not only choosing us, but for giving us a mission, for giving us purpose, for allowing us, God, the privilege and the responsibility of being your servants on this earth. To be able to display, God, a different way of living, a different way of life, a distinct way, a way unlike any other way, because it's your way. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no real life apart from following and serving you. And God, I just pray that all of us would come to a place where we realize that, Lord, the best life we could ever have is just following and serving you. It doesn't get any better than that, and that's what we're going to be doing throughout all of eternity. And even the song, God, that we're getting ready to sing has a line that says, this, this is the best it can be. It doesn't get any better than this. Oh, God, would we settle our hearts there and realize it doesn't get any better on earth than this to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to exalt you, Lord, the Lord of glory, and to worship you and to lift you up in a place like this. That's the best. So, God, would you help us to sink down deep today into you, to dig down deep, to lay a foundation that can never be rocked, but one that's built upon the rock. You, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter what storm, what trial, what, what tribulation, what pressures come into our life, we will stand because we're standing upon the rock of Jesus. Give us a heart, God, for all of the things that we've talked about this morning so that we can be known by the fruit that you want us, your servants, to be known by. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.